Welcome back to the Sideline Sp- Sportscast. We're here, episode number 26, and uh, we're in the thick of things in the NFL season. We're three weeks in, plenty of good topics coming at you this evening, including uh, some NFL records being broken, Josh uh, Gordon returns once again, and then some concerns for some of the top teams in the league. But before we jump into those topics and much more, Logan, why don't you tell the folks what we're drinking tonight? All right, we're officially out of summer. We're into fall, so we're going to kick it off with a pumpkin ale tonight uh, from one of our favorite breweries, Tampa Bay Brewing Company. It's uh, Gourds Gone Wild. Um, this is a seasonal beer that they have. It's um, It's got kind of a multi backbone, uh, being that it's an amber, uh, but then it's got the, the pumpkin pie uh, spice, it's got some nutmeg, vanilla, graham cracker flavors, so um, it's a little bit creamy, a little bit sweet, kind of spicy, um, so let's bust this open and uh, try it out. Now that's quite good. That's a that's a good pumpkin. That is right it's there. not it's not uh, overly like um what's the ship he- shipyard pumpkin head um, Yeah, you know the the typical you know the go-to Sam Adams of course Oktoberfest mm-hmm. and then shipyard is the uh the other big prominent beer that you see at least I see in Publix mm-hmm. uh, for this time of the year but this one uh, I would say the flavor at least the pumpkin flavor comes through a lot more clear and crisp than the yeah. shipyard um you know it's hard to beat Sam Adams Oktoberfest um but I mean this is for a brewery that's not nationwide and one of our favorites I think they hit the nail right on the head once again um you know with this pumpkin uh flavor yeah it's definitely more pumpkin pie than it is pumpkin you know right and i like that i prefer that Mm -hmm. um because i think everybody would agree you know pumpkin doesn't have that much flavor you know just by itself obviously pumpkin pie is the the most uh recognizable flavor of this time of the year and i it's i think it's it's great i mean i would drink this any day of the week yeah very good if it was about 25 degrees cooler outside it'd be even better yeah, we're we're getting there. It's only like what eighty five today. Yeah, Chris, eighty five today. Yeah, welcome to fall in Florida. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, as always, um, let us know what you're drinking over at our social media accounts at Sideline Casters on both Facebook and Twitter. You know, it's this time of the year where it's acceptable to drink beer on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, even Monday night football five days Monday. a week. Yeah, five days a week uh, football, and that comes with. Plenty of beer, so let us know what you're drinking during your football uh, viewership, whether it's you know any of those days of the week. But uh, with that being said, I'll take us into the first topic of the evening, and it's a record-winning topic. Our boy Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens set a new game-winning record field goal, 66 yards. Uh, it comes as no surprise that the Ravens kicker Justin Tucker was named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week for his performance, as revealed this past Tuesday. In his already outstanding career, uh, Tucker added his eye-popping 12th Player of the Week accolade in his 10th season, but this one's a little, this one has a little extra oomph to it. Tucker, who tallied 13 total points and four field goals on Sunday, converted the aforementioned 66-yarder with no time remaining to send the Ravens into a delirium and a 1917 victory over the shocked Detroit Lions. The Hall of Fame has announced, as they typically do when these records are broken, 
um, on Wednesday that Tucker's uniform from Sunday's game is now on display in Canton. Potentially the most impressive fact, I would say, is this kick took place in Detroit and not in the Mile High City of Denver, which is the venue of the past leading 64-yard field goal made by Denver Broncos uh, ex-kicker Matt Prater. And, uh, and Mile High has been known for giving kickers a few more uh, gratuitous yards in their kicks. So, Logan, how impressed are you with Tucker's field goal? And is he in the running for best, bla- uh, best place kickers of all time? Yeah, I know this doinked in, but this might be like once-in-a-lifetime kick. A kick from, from this distance that's outside of Mile High is just really spectacular. I'm sure this record will be broken, but it's probably going to be in a, a city where the altitude's a little bit thinner, so probably going to be a mile high. And, you know, it just it's just kind of the way things go, where you know eventually bigger, stronger, faster. So we'll we'll see this kick be broken. But the fact that this came as a record breaker outside of mile high, I think, is really kind of special um, in terms of kickers. Um, you know, as far as Justin Tucker, he's definitely the running. In the modern era, there's really only two kickers that have separated themselves from the pack. You know, that's A, Tucker, and B, Adam Vinatieri. You can make an argument for either guy. Tucker, he's the most accurate kicker ever. He ranks number one all-time in, in field goals percentage at 90.6% of his attempts being made. He hasn't missed a field goal, you know, in his first six seasons. Uh, he's only missed four in his entire career. He's made 50 straight field goals in the fourth quarter overtime. That's 50. That's crazy. And of those 50, you know, over half of them are plus 40 yards. So this guy's got a leg. And, you know, he's not missed a kick in regulation. uh, The final minute of regulation, sorry. He hasn't missed a kick in under 30 yards. His over 50 yards is 70% on his attempts. You know, on top of that, he played his entire career like outside in the elements he didn't play in a dome so even with all that said i'm still gonna put tucker as my number two on the all-time kickers list i know vinatieri's field goal percentage is short of tucker's but the distinction for me between these two is the super bowl clutch factor vinatieri kicked a game-winning 48-yard field goal in super bowl 36 and then another 41-yard kick in super bowl 38 when you're kicking there's a lot of pressure, and the setting means something. While Tucker's made a lot of big kicks, Super Bowl is that stage, and to have two game-winning kicks for Super Bowls that made a difference like that—that's that's the 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 tiebreaker for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's it's very hard to dethrone Adam Vinatieri, and. We're talking about a 25-year career, right? 24 years, I think, uh, officially. For Vinatieri, he's played in three different decades, four-time Super Bowl champion, two of which you mentioned are game-winning field goal kicks that he made. Um, you know, 85% all to- uh, career percentage. Uh, it's hard to... Those accolades speak for themselves, right? And I, I think Tucker's going to get there to the point where he is the clear-cut number one. I think just based on his consistency... And percentage alone, like you said, it's close to 90% all-time in his career. And then he's never missed an extra point. Uh, 166 out of 166 uh, extra points as, at, at the time of this recording. That alone, especially with the changes to the field goal point after touchdown you know, rules and yardage, how many 
extra points have we seen missed just through three weeks, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. for him to have that kind of consistency, I think that's that's what you're looking for in your kicker to begin with, right? You may not get a guy who can make 66-yard field goals, but a guy that makes 90% of all his field goals, well, it turns out Justin Tucker can do both. So, he's he. I agree with you 100%. He's number two. Adam Vinatieri's number one. He's, Justin Tucker's only 12 years in, or nine years in, sorry, to his career, right? And Adam Vinatieri played for 24. So I think if, if Tucker's already in that conversation nine years in, um, I think he's got plenty of time to catch Vinatieri. For the field goal itself, I mean, it, I, I've watched the replay 50 times, and that's a once-in-a-lifetime kick, like you mentioned, to hit the upright like that and doink in. I mean, I, that makes it even more special in my eyes as opposed to one that just cleared the upright. He's never going to forget that. Fans are never going to forget that. Certainly Detroit's never going to forget that anytime they play Baltimore mm-hmm. in the future. Um, and it, he he's my number one kicker in the league right now, um, and I think he will be the number one kicker of all time in about 10 years from now, hands down. Yeah, let's face it. Kickers, they can play just absolutely forever. So. Well, this past week, one star wide receiver, Josh Gordon, was reinstated by the NFL again, and it was allowed, and he was allowed to start soliciting teams to join their rosters. The NFL suspended Gordon definitely in December 2019 for violations of the league's substance abuse policy and performance-enhancing substances as well. That was Gordon's sixth suspension since 2013 and his fifth for some form of substance abuse. Gordon was coincidentally reinstated by the NFL in December 2020 and was set to practice with Seattle Seahawks in the final two weeks of the regular season before his reinstatement was rescinded in January. Gordon has now reportedly signed with the Chiefs and will potentially give Mahomes another target in the coming weeks. Brian, do you see Gordon actually hitting the field in the 2021 season? And if he does, what impact will he have? And then what is your over and under for games before he gets his next suspension? Right. I mean, I'm rooting for him. I think he's an electric player. I don't know if he's the same guy as he was in 2010 through 2013 when he was pretty much the only player on that Cleveland Browns team um, who was worth anything at the time. Uh, No offense to Cleveland fans, but it's the truth. Um, I think he hits the field. I, I think he... I'm hoping fingers crossed that he's reached a point where he's realized obviously the behavior that he was engaging in and getting him sus- himself suspended for needs to stop. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't have many other career uh, aspects lined up for himself other than playing the game of football. So I think he, he I'm hoping, and I, I think that this is the time that he does see the field. We're very early on in the season. If he can just keep himself clean, which I'm sure he's had to, to get reinstated in the first place. I think he hits the field. But in all honesty, I don't think it makes much of an impact. Um, again, it's been six years since he's really had substantial playing time for any one franchise. He hasn't been that guy in over six, seven years now. And I don't, I think when somebody is that far removed for that long of time, he's not going to have an immediate impact like he did, you know very early on in his career, not to mention the aging process and what seven, eight years has done on his body um, in the course of those suspensions. So hits the field. 
I don't think he's much of an impact. I think he's third or fourth on the death chart, gets a couple touches per game, if that. And then I'm going to say over-under on games played is going to be right around the eight mark before we see some kind of controversy come out and another potential suspension from Gordon. I hope that's not the case, but given his track record, I can't imagine anybody would think otherwise. Yeah, when players are reinstated, there's always kind of a conditional to it. Uh, you know, in the way the NFL has been so aggressive with Gordon's suspensions, you know, I don't believe he's back until he walks out of the tunnel on game day. You know, we saw his reinstatement pulled in Seattle after that short stint, you know. I do hope, like you, I hope he makes a roster. Um, I do think he'll be with Kansas City. You know, he's signed, but right now he's still on the practice squad. He's not on that 53-man roster. And, you know, I doubt, giving his history, that Kansas City used one of their protected squad spots, right. which means that, you know, in theory, he could sign with any team at this point. Um, as far as impact, it's, it's hard to say. He, he just turned 30, but he should still have some years left because he hasn't had much wear and tear since he's not been playing football. Um, it, we really saw the the best out of him in 2013 just for that one year. But that one year was just so incredible, you know. Even with, like, that garbage Cleveland team, like you said, those quarterbacks like Brian Hoyer, Johnny Manziel, Gordon had more receiving yards in the 14 games he played that season than T.O. and Randy Moss ever had in a full season, which is, imp- so, yeah, that's an amazing stat. You know, it just kind of shows how good he could have been. You know, we saw him come back in 2019, where he played with New England, Seattle, and he was so-so, you know, which is probably a result of him being in and out of football, which is why, you know, I think that if he makes the active roster for Kansas City, that I don't expect a whole lot out of him that first month or so. But if he can stay, you know, clean and down the stretch, he could be that difference maker. Like you said, he could be that third wide receiver, a guy behind, you know, Hill, you know, behind Kelsey. He could be that difference going into the playoffs, and if he can last their entire offseason, he could be primed for a big second year back. But he's got a lot of work to do before then. Um, If you're going to compare him to guys like Dez and Antonio Brown, guys who have re-entered the league after being out for some time, I think Gordon's ceiling is higher than both of those guys. If I had to give you an over-under on suspension, i say that it happens during like that idle time in the offseason. So what, we're week four, there's the bye week, extra game this year. I'm going to say he doesn't make it on the field until the earliest week six, which gives me like ten and a half. I'm going to put my ten and a half for the over-under. Okay. So I, th- no, I, I think through I think this season he can stay busy and he can stay clean. It's that off-season that's going to get him. Yeah, you know, downtime, not, not much else to do, but uh, recreational activities, if you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. um, but all good, you know, luck to him. I'm not going to say good luck to the Chiefs because I don't think they need another weapon on that offense. I don't think that's their issue, and we'll get to that later in the podcast. Um, but let's change things up and go over to the uh, NFC side of the league. If we learned anything from this past Monday Night Football uh, and the Massacre of the Eagles, it's that the Cowboys aren't afraid to run it up. With just over two minutes left in the third quarter, the Cowboys were leading the Eagles 27-14 and stalled on the two-yard line, leaving fourth and goal. Instead of playing it safe and hitting a chip shot to extend their lead, the Cowboys went for it and converted the touchdown. With the return of Dak's Dallas offense 
uh, cracking the top five ranking, and they are now two and one on the season. With this loan, with their loan defeat coming last minute comeback with the defending Super Bowl champions, Logan, how about those Cowboys? Do you have them amongst your elite NFL teams at this point in time in the season? To win the NFC, you're going to have to score points, and you're going to, have to score a lot of them. Stafford and the Rams. They look like a you know a teenager playing Madden out there, and, and they're not even the highest-scoring team of division. That belongs to Murray and the Cardinals. Tom is still doing his thing in Tampa. Aaron appears to have the pack back on track. Minnesota, they may have the best wide receiver running back core in the NFL, but the Cowboys may have the best wide receiver running back and quarterback core in the game. CeeDee Lamb, he's a beast. Zeke and Pollard, they combine to make one true Pro Bowl back and Dak he's putting up numbers that are just fantastic you know numbers that are if as good if not better than any quarterback in the entire league you know so to me they're on the verge of becoming a late team but they're not there yet I got two concerns for Big D that's coaching and defense I don't think Mike McCarthy is a guy for Dallas seen a lot of poor clock management this season some questionable play calling you know pretty much in every game they've had uh, but the big concern is that defense, one that was the franchise worst in several categories last season. They certainly are performing better this year, and Micah Parsons is a leader in development. You know, he's looking to be a real big force in that defense in the coming years. But, you know, looking at their schedule, they got Carolina up next. You know, then they got Denver, Kansas City, the Saints, Arizona, all on tap this season. To win down the stretch, they're going to have to shore up that defense. And if they can win some of these games, I consider them an elite team. But either way, you're going to see them in the playoffs because that AFC East is you know, mostly just garbage. So they're going to be a tough team come playoff time. And uh, depending on, on the record, they may even you know have a home game. So if they can sure up that defense, their offense will carry them through, and they'll be in any game with Dak. Yeah, no, I'm I'm going to echo a lot of the things you said, and I don't think they're quite there yet if we're talking about elite NFC teams. I still think they're on the outside looking in. Tampa, Green Bay, uh, LA, you know, even Seattle, even though they've had a, a crappy start. And Arizona, I think those are your top, top five teams in the NFC right now, right? Um, and Dallas, even though they're, they're leading that division and will likely win that division, I, I still think they're in that, uh, in that second tier um, in the NFC. And the, and the biggest problem, and I think the main reason, if we're talking about you know the subject of the topic, which was them going for it on fourth and goal when they're up by um, you know 13 points at that point, a field goal makes it a two-possession game. The Dallas defense is what concerns me, and I think that's what keeps them from being an elite team right now. They're going to score points. Dak has proven it. I've come around on Dak. He's, you know, he's, he's played great this season. Zeke finally got to the table against Philly, right? Good fantasy um, and statistical game from Zeke, which is what they were hoping for. The defense has had sparks. The defense has looked good at times, but I think the Dallas defense is what's holding them back from being in that upper echelon of teams and I think really Mike McCarthy's thinking, oh, you know, two possession game, this defense, I know we're going to score points, but, you know, let's just see if we can get some more points on the board to really put this game away. And I think until Dallas's defense at least 
climbs a few rungs on the ladder and gets closer to their offense, they're going to have to have that offensive production every single game to win. And, you know, the saying, we all know the saying, you know, offense wins games, but defense wins championships. I can't put them in in championship contention right now knowing that that defense could give up 35 points a game, right? I think that's the problem. And they've played, you know, Philly, I don't think anybody was suspecting to score, you know, 30, 40 points um, against them. But if this was a closer game, if the Philly defense would have held Dallas to any, you know, considerable offensive production, this could have been a game uh, to really look out for and see if Philly can make the upset. And that's my biggest obstacle with Dallas is can that defense at least get close to the offense to have some sort of balance in Dallas? Yeah, that's going to be the goal for them. They got to do that. I mean, they've risen compared to last season already, but they they still got more to do. So, well, we talked about Josh Gordon a little bit earlier, so we're going to tune to that turn to that very team that's signing him. The Chiefs they find themselves in sole possession of last place in the AFC West after only losing two games in 2020. The Chiefs have matched that total with only three weeks into this season after falling to the divisional rivals LA Rams. Regardless of the Gordon signing, the Chiefs offense has not seemed to struggle much. The Chiefs rank fifth in passing, and they tied with the Rams for second most touchdowns, nine, throughout through the air. Aside from the six turnovers in the last two games, the offense is just fine. The question is that starting the 2020 season was the Chiefs' ability to stop top-tier offenses with their defense. No doubt the Chiefs' defense is riding high all the way to their eventual Super Bowl loss, but it seems to be coming back down to reality this season. The Chiefs, after a strong start on Sunday, allowed the Chargers to score on five of their final seven possessions, including all three in the fourth quarter. The faulty defense, which has also wasted an 11-point fourth-quarter lead during last week's loss to the Baltimore Ravens, is the biggest reason the Chiefs are 1-2 and in last place in the AFC West. The first time since 2015. Brian, is this a minor setback for Kansas City's defense, or is this a long-term issue that Kansas City should be worried about? I do think this is a short-term setback, and I'm not going to call it minor. Uh, it's never minor when you know you're last place in your division and you're, you're the clear-cut favorite. Um, but they still have Patrick Mahomes. They still have that high-powered offense. You know, they put 24 points up against you know, the Chargers this past weekend. So it's not like they, you know, limped into the game and, you know, scored 10 points or less and had no production whatsoever. But I'm going to kind of echo some of the same things I said about Dallas. Um, It's not to the same extent, but the questions in last year going into the season was, oh, you know, Kansas City, the the offense is set, no worries. Um, You know, what's the defense going to do? And, you know, they got, you know, Matthew and they big production out of him at the back end of the season kind of carried that defense with the turn turnover game into the playoffs and then strong strong playoff performances you know um, from Kansas City uh, but that's been their Achilles heel right for the last couple of years it's you know the offense is going to score twenty five to thirty five points a game more more likely than not but is the defense going to stop. Um, you know, the opponent, and when you're scoring 30 points a game, usually it doesn't take that much, you know, limit the opposing team unless you're playing, like, 
the Bucks or you know the Browns or the Bills who did put points up against that Chiefs defense in the playoffs last year. But here we are again, same song, same dance in 2021, and the issue is that defense. You know they've had injuries on the defensive line, no pressure on Herbert this past game, and he Herbert just you know is the second year quarterback that everyone wishes they drafted right last year. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been phenomenal. Um, for the Chargers, and it looks like he's going to have a very promising career. Um, so there's no cause for you know panic in Kansas City. You have an MVP quarterback who knows how to win games. They're just going to have to tweak the defense, and maybe that means going out and picking some people up in free agency to kind of mix things up on that defensive side of the ball, um, making sure people are healthy, maybe changing the game plan up a little bit. Um, you know, the Chargers are high-powered offense. Uh, who do the Chiefs have this week? Um, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Philly. Yeah, so, I mean, it should get a win to get, get to 500. But then, you know, they have Buffalo the week after that at home on Sunday Night Football. That's going to be the next measuring stick for both Kansas City and then, of course, Buffalo as well. Buffalo's defense looked good. Buffalo's offense has come on. So I'm really looking a week out to week f- uh, five to see, you know, how much of a concern this is. The Bills have had had two games last year against the Chiefs and couldn't break through. You know, if that defense plays like they did against the Chargers last week, maybe this is the year. Um, but no panic. I still think the Chiefs win that division, although I think the gap has been closed considerably between them and the Chargers. Um, you know, s- s- same story as last year. They only lost two games, like you said, last year, and they're already at that mark, so... Doesn't look like they're going to have much as much success as last year, um, but that comes down to the general manager and the defense, defensive coordinator to put in the best game plan they have for the players they have on that side of the ball. Um, but I don't think anybody's saying that the Chiefs aren't the favorite in that division, uh, if not the AFC still overall. Um, it's too early to tell. Just take a deep breath. I think Kansas City's going to be okay. Yeah, I'm going to say this is a little bit of both. It is is a minor setback, um, but it's also something to be concerned about long-term for the Chiefs. Um, in the short term, you know, their first two games, they played against phenomenal running teams in, in the Ravens, you know, who lead the league in 5.9 yards per attempt, and then the Browns week two, who are fourth in the league with 5.2 yards per attempt. So both these teams run the ball really effectively. So it's not really a shock to see them on the lower end of the rushing defense. Um, certainly their passing defense has been a little porous too, but they actually force quite a bit of turnovers. They turn, they, they cause yeah. a turnover at about 5.3% of passes attempted, which is the second best in the league, only behind the Patriots. Um, you know, and, and their touchdowns per pass is only 1.7, you know, percent which is sixth best in the league. So really, it's just kind of been unfortunate for them. Um, you know, they've played some good teams this season so far. You know, the Browns, the the Ravens, and the Chiefs, uh, Chargers, sorry, are all, you know, playoff caliber teams. You know, and they really haven't gotten blown out in any of those games. Uh, you know, the, the Baltimore loss was a one-point loss there at the end, and, you know, the Chargers game was within a touchdown. So, you know, Matthew, he missed the first game. 
you know, he had a, a good game against Baltimore, but really kind of quiet. And, you know, if you look at their week three loss, you know, it's hard to win a game when you turn the ball over four times, you know, the two fumbles uh, and two interceptions. So it's just, it's hard. You know, if you, if you only make half as many mistakes, you got to think that they could possibly walk away with a touchdown. And then we're talking about a different story, you know, how they're, they're resilient. They've only lost one game by one point, you know. Um, so th- I think that's the short term. Long term, they've spent a lot of their picks on offense this last couple of years, and it's paid off pretty well, I think. But they've also not kind of hit with the their high defensive draft picks. Uh, you know, 2018, they moved up to get uh, Braylon Speaks, um, who was a bust after two years. Uh, they drafted a linebacker, third round, same season. He really wasn't productive. Uh, safeties really haven't haven't turned out. So they've got to do a better job planning for the future or teams are going to catch up offensively. And if you're, if you're not able to maintain that gap defensively or at least hold, uh, serve on some of these teams, it's going to cause more losses. By no means is... Is it the sky falling in Kansas City? They got, they still have you know Mahomes. They still got Kelsey. They still got Hill. There's no reason for them to start panicking because that combination of those three is going to produce a higher QBR than the opposing team. More often than not, if you can have a higher QBR, it's a good predictive tool that says you're going to win more games than you're going to lose. So certainly they want to see some better defense out of those you know matchups and against the top teams. But there's not time to hit the panic button just quite yet. You know, like you said, we'll see more after they play Buffalo, who is kind of that team that's been talked about as the the, the one true heir to the AFC throne. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's early on, so I agree. You know, those first three games, it's not like we're talking about major blowouts with like you know people contemplating whether the Chiefs are the same team as they've been. So give us a little bit more time, um, and I'm sure the Chiefs will figure it out as they have over the last three years making it to the Super Bowl. So um, with that being said, Logan, why don't you uh, take us into our uh, recap of the picks last week? Well, we did a little bit better than uh, past week. Um, Brian, you went 9-6-1. and one. I went 8-7-1, which, of course, puts you one game further ahead. So you're up four games overall. Um, you got the Cincinnati pick for some reason. I thought Pittsburgh was gonna, you know, take on. I think most people, I think most people thought Pittsburgh was going to come away with that one. It's just the more and more the week went on, the more and more developments came out of Pittsburgh saying that, you know, big Ben's hurt, TJ Watts not playing. Um, they got, they got issues. If we're talking about a team with issues, Pittsburgh is on that list. They do. So. I, for some reason, have been stuck on the Jets since the preseason and thought they were better than they were. And even with a 10.5-point spread, they still lost to Denver. Uh, So you got that one right. I took the Rams over Tampa Bay. And, of course, you know, I got that one right. Uh, So that that gives us our one-point differential. This week, we only differ on two picks. So we got the Panthers at the Cowboys. Dallas is favored by 5.5. You've got Dallas. At home, which is probably the smarter pick, um, but I I'm kind of a believer in this this um, Carolina defense. I know they lost their their rookie corner, um, 
but I still think this this Carolina defense has been really impressive. Uh, so I think they can maybe limit the Cowboys. They're not really not going to stop the Cowboys, but they can limit the Cowboys. And uh, we'll see if that offense for Carolina can stay with the Cowboys. And five and a half, probably not the best spread to pick against Dallas, but uh, I need to make up some ground. So we'll either make it up or, or I'll fall farther behind on that one. Um, our next one is the Browns at the Vikings. Cleveland's favored by two and a half. I'm taking Cleveland. You're taking Minnesota. So. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota played good last week. They have some very good running backs in Dalvin Cook um, and being the number one. And then, of course, uh, his name is escaping me, but whoever came in from Minnesota just lit it up this past week. It's in, it's in Minnesota. It's a big game for them. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins has actually been playing fairly decent statistically this year. The record might not reflect it, but I think Minnesota turns up the heat a little bit on Cleveland. Um, Cleveland's great, but this is this is kind of the same situation with your Carolina pick. I think this is one that we could, you know, could be uh, stolen by Minnesota. Um, and that's, that's just what I'm hoping for is a Minnesota squeaks out by a field goal. We all know I've been critical of Cleveland on the show, and um, I'm picking Cleveland. Browns, you better not let me down. Baker. Baker, yeah. Baker, this is this is at you, Baker. Listen, you got OBJ back. Make it work. So uh, we'll one, other, one other one to note is that Buffalo is favored by 16.5 against the Texans. Yeah. Brian, that's your team. How do you feel about that? Yeah, big, biggest spread of the weekend. I mean... Uh... I agree with it. I, you know, if, 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 you know, we're talking about riding momentum, the last two games, we've seen a 35 to nothing uh, victory in Miami on the road and then a 22 point victory over Washington um, at home. I don't think Houston's better than Miami or Washington. I think they're quite worse considerably, especially the fact that they haven't named a starting quarterback for this week yet. Um, don't know if it's going to be Tyrod Taylor stepping back in or who. So, no, it's, it's Tyrod's on the IR, so he's out right, for right. So, right. So, it's, so. It's David David Mills again, um, which is kind of why if it was if Tyrod was in there and say the spread was like twelve and a half, I'd probably take Texans to cover the spread. But uh, I, don't know, I think Mills, I think I don't think it good. matters. I I don't think it matters who's in there. Um, to be honest. I there's history in these two teams being you know the the Texans beat the Bills in the wild card two years ago uh, quite removed from that game but it's at it's in Buffalo I, I believe this is um, probably their second matchup since that game but, but I think there's still some blood in the water and I think Josh Allen who looked like the Josh Allen of 2020 this past week. Um, has another repeat performance and you know I, I could see another blowout in Buffalo and I won't complain about that. Yeah, I agree. That's why I, you know I love the spreads, especially when they're above, you know, eleven and a half. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know Which I is, there's nothing Houston gives us right to make to think that they're not gonna get blown out. Right. Exactly. Uh except for, you know, Deshaun is listed as number two on the depth chart now. Mm. You're only one injury away from having to face Watson. At this point, with the lack that he's actually done anything in practice, 
or in any turn. Yeah. His demeanor, I'm, I'm not too scared of him if he's the quarterback for Houston. If he goes somewhere else, then yeah, I think it's something to worry about. But that whole team is just... They started off hot. I'll give them that. They beat Jacksonville in that first game. They're on a very steady downhill course from that outing. I mean, it's, it's Jacksonville. It's one of the few teams that they're actually... Right. You know, probably more talented than... Yeah, we don't. Uh, that says more about Jacksonville, probably, probably than it does about Houston. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, we won't go through every matchup uh, this week, but we will talk about one, and it involves seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, who's getting ready to face the New England Patriots and his former coach Bill Belichick for the first time in his two-decade-long dec- career. The Brady-Belichick matchup. Is, a f- is full of storylines from the emotions of Brady's first ever road game at Gillette Stadium, the master and apprentice, and Brady inevitably breaking Drew Brees' passing record and becoming the NFL's all-time passing leader. I'm sure these are all topics we will cover next week, so let's look ahead. Brady is the oldest active player in the NFL at 44 years old, more than four years older than the second oldest player, and on an episode of Tommy and Gronky, Tom said that he thinks he could play until he's 50 years old. Belichick is the second oldest NFL head coach at 69 years old and only four years shy of becoming the oldest head coach ever in the NFL. So, Logan, who do you got walking away first, Brady or Belichick? So we're talking about a coach, an old coach, for some old tackle football player. And you'd have to imagine that the physical qualities would diminish faster than, say, your mental acuity. Um, I think that Belichick should be able to hold on a little bit longer than Brady's body, you know, should hold up. But Brian, if Brady's talking like he can play till 50, there's a damn good chance he can actually do it. Uh, Which, you know, seems ridiculous to say, especially for me, Uh, you know, a year or two ago, I would have not have entertained that idea. But I swear he's found the fountain of youth over there in Tampa. You know, while I don't doubt that Tom could play to 50, I think there's kind of three things that are going to make him hang it up before Belichick. You know, first, Tom said he doesn't want to be a 40-something-year-old player. He wants to look like he's in his prime. You know, as good a shape as he's in, he's only one missed block away from injury that can make him look like that 40-year-old player. Uh, If not, you know, make him miss a significant amount of time. You know, we talked about, I just talked about, you know, acuity, mental acuity versus physical. I can see Belichick being on the stand on the sidelines for another three, four, maybe even, you know, five or six years. Uh, Tom's under contract in Tampa for two more, or for this year, next year. I don't see a reason why they wouldn't give him more time. Uh, so, you know, say give him two more years, that puts him at 47. That's, that's old. That's old. Even, you know, for Tom Brady, that's old. But lastly, and probably the most overriding factor is family. Uh, he doesn't want to miss out on family events. You know, his kids, we just saw this with J.J. Redick, you know, who could, probably could have been like a shooting specialist on a team coming off the bench in big moments. But he wanted, J.J. wanted to spend more time with his family and not be stuck out there and miss events. And, you know, after Brady breaks Bree's record this week, what is there left for him to play? He's done everything. You know, there's no doubt on how talented and good he is as a player. Uh, there's no, ta- no doubt that he was a 
big part of their success in New England, and it wasn't just Belichick. So I think that it's just safe to say that Brady is going to hang it up for Belichick. Yeah, you know, the safe pick is exactly what you said. I mean, Brady's playing tackle football. Bill Belichick, you know, looks like a football. <laughs> I'm just, um, nah, I mean, to coach for four more years is certainly more conceivable than a 48-year-old Tom Brady playing football. To play devil's advocate, I'm going to say Belichick for this reason. He's 42 wins away from Don Shula's record for most wins by an NFL head coach. And honestly, I don't think he's going to get there. Um, I think Bill is going to get to a point where he realizes that he doesn't have Tom Brady anymore. I don't know if he's realized that yet, right? Maybe he did this past year with their 500 record. Things are not looking good for New England this year. I could see Bill getting to a point. He turns 70 years old. He says, listen, I have these rings. Things are not going great for this team. They have Josh McDaniels, who's sitting there waiting, salivating at the opportunity to be the head coach, as he has Very been for years. Right. And I think if New England's season, especially this year, ends with them, let's just say like 6-13, and 13, right? Very possible, especially watching how they played against New Orleans this past week, and Mac Jones did not look like the Mac Jones of Alabama mm-hmm. by a long stretch, right? I could see him saying, listen, I'm 70 years old. This is it. I'm done. And if that's the case, we're talking about one or two years. And, you know, Brady, he still looks like this. We talked about this earlier a couple of weeks ago that Brady still looks like the same Brady of 10 years ago, right? So it looks better than the Brady of 10 years ago. The Brady of 10 years ago was pudgy. Right. So, I mean, it, Brady, I mean, he, he, he might want to spend some more time with his family. Um, maybe that just means cutting out the Subway commercials um, that I'm sure my wife and yours, if she's seen them, like a lot more than we do. But I, I digress. I, I think Brady's got three or four more in him. And uh, I think if Bill can't get back to that winning football that he's used to and has been used to for the past two decades... Maybe he hangs him up here in a year or two and hands the keys over to Josh McDaniels finally. Yeah, just the record, my wife hates Subway and anything they do. So there you go. Um, but so does I, Allison, but she loves Tom Brady apparently. So <laughs> I do see what you're saying. Was there's a world in which they have another subpar season, and maybe you know the Kraft family says, "Bill, you ran Brady out." You know, right. you're not doing so hot. Maybe we take away some of these GM responsibilities from you. And I don't think that's going to go over well with, with Belichick either. Um, and, it is very plausible. It's very possible. I mean, just look, look at their roster. Oh, yeah, it's empty. I mean, I don't know who you're putting your faith in at this point. I understand it's been three games. Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback. We can't say that the jury's out on him yet. But I don't see anybody on that team that you're pointing to saying, at this point, this is our guy. 
who's going to lead us, you know, for the next 15 years on either side of the ball. Yeah. We definitely can't say it this week, but maybe we say it next week when we talk about all the uh, rookie quarterbacks. Right. right. So anyway, we'll head to this day in sports on this day in 1992 basketball superstar Irving magic Johnson announced he was coming out of retirement and told a packed audience at the great Western forum. He would participate in 50 to 60 games of the NBA season. The previous November, Magic announced his retirement after contracting HIV. After practicing and playing in several preseason games, he retired again before the season began, citing controversy over his return sparked by opposition from several active players. In an August 2021 interview, Johnson said that in retrospect, he wished he would have never retired after being diagnosed with HIV, saying, if I knew what I know now, I would have never retired. Uh, you know, to be honest, I wasn't aware that he tried to make a comeback. Yeah, I didn't know about this fact either. Um, I mean, to be fair, I had either just been born or was about Listen, to be born when this happened. So No excuses. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anywho, 1992, very different, especially with the HIV conversation. So, I'm sure that the pressure that he felt from his peers and the league itself and the players association. I'm sure he didn't have much of a choice at the time. So it's a sad story. One of the greatest players of NBA history, um, certainly one of the best point guards ever. And, you know, now a, a great GM uh, would have loved to have seen more for magic. But I think at, given the time, the circumstances, the misconceptions about, you know, transferal of the disease. What choice did he really have in the moment? And he should probably give himself a little bit of slack. Yeah, it's kind of a unique scenario. I don't know that we've really seen. I can't think of another player who's come out and said they're HIV positive. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Not of that caliber, Especially. for sure. So, so. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next week with an all-new Sideline Sportscast. And don't forget, check out our socials at SidelineCasters on both Facebook and Twitter. See you guys next week.